Welcome back to the podcast show, Novelty Analysis, with your host, Gloria. Today, we will be going into our first book of this series that I have chosen to talk about, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. I'm going to be using the 60th anniversary edition with a new introduction by Neil Gaiman. No, Neil Gaiman. Sorry, I'm bad. And, um, yeah, let's just jump right into it. So, for anyone who doesn't know what Fahrenheit 451 is, it's basically this futuristic society that Ray Bradbury has come up with where um, electronics and technology in general has taken over society. And so, now instead of having TVs, the walls are the TVs, and instead of going to school with actual textbooks, they just have pamphlets, so all the information is watered down. Um, the streets, everything, the entire world is in chaos, there's war, but the people seem to be apathetic to everything that's going on, because they're all just tangled up in their homes, being brainwashed by all of this um, quote-unquote television and this media, and like people are becoming more and more heartless and going outside less and less like honestly um it's normal in that society to go out for a drive and then if you see a pedestrian to run them over because it's fun and then you're more than likely not to get in trouble for it that's basically how this society is how most of the people in the society are but the main point i want to touch on is the fire department so right now in this regular normal society that we are living in um our fire department goes to houses, buildings, whatever you want to name it, to save lives, to take down fires. But in this new futuristic dystopian society, um, that's not what they're there for anymore. Instead, all the houses are now fireproofed and apparently floating in the air, at least some of them. And so now there's not much of a use for them. But since textbooks and books in general have been watered down to pamphlets, people found the need to not have them anymore. So they decided to use the fire department to burn books. So that's basically what the fire department is there for, nothing else. And because they have been burning books, uh, most of the people don't have a problem with it, except for a select few who are advocates for books. And they are trying to protect their books. Um, Very little books are left. Very few people have a small amount of books in their homes. um, And they're hiding them. And if they get discovered, their house gets burned down and everything else in it. And if that person is still in their house, then they get burned down too. And it's honestly kind of sad and concerning. But the main character of this book is a character named Guy Montag. He is one of the firemen, but he soon changes his role in society. And right now for this podcast, I want to focus on analyzing the characters. So, the first character that I want to address is Clarice McClellan. Now, she's basically the character that helps the main character, Guy Montag, turn everything around. She's the catalyst to the change that we're going to see throughout the plot and just throughout the entire story. And she's not one of the main characters, but she is most definitely one of the most important characters. So before we go into that, I want to address some character tropes, and if you don't know what a trope is, it's basically some like common uh, categories that you can place a character into. 
So some of those common categories are the chosen one, the secret heir, single overlord, um, the reluctant hero, and a lucky novice. So I'm going to go ahead and say which characters I believe um, fit these tropes and which tropes I believe don't like come in handy with this book are irrelevant to this story. So the chosen one, I don't believe there is a chosen one. I mean, we could go ahead and argue that Guy Montag, the main character, is the chosen one. However, there's a lot of people out there like him in this dystopian futuristic book um, that are changing and um, want to protect books. Um, so yeah, I don't believe there's any chosen one. We could go ahead and argue that the Catalyst character, Clarice McClellan, is the chosen one but then again we could also say well her family is and her family um as an entire whole is not one person so um yeah i don't really think that there's a chosen one i think there are chosen ones but not one specific individual next up we have the secret heir um there is no kingdom or royalty of any type in this um story so i don't think there's any secret heirs um so we'll just move on from that a single overlord. There is no single overlord, but there are um, some characters that we could say are kind of like overlords, but then again, we gotta recognize that a lot of people in the society are brainwashed and manipulated and don't even know their own like country's history. Some of them don't believe that firemen used to take out fires. That's how far away this future society is. And so... Uh, no, I don't really think there's any um, overlord. I mean, we could say that the overlord is uh, ignorance, which is kind of like an abstract idea of an overlord, but it kind of fits in. Okay, then we have the reluctant hero. Um, I don't really think there's a reluctant hero. I mean, I do feel that those who are hiding in secret trying to protect their books could be reluctant heroes. Um, but like some of them aren't really doing anything and i don't know i just don't think again that there's a specific reluctant hero um yeah we'll just address that later because i do believe that one of the characters does fit into this um although i feel like he would be more of a reluctant sidekick if we're really gonna get into that but as i said that's for a different episode right now i just want to focus on one character okay next and lastly, we have Lucky Novice, which is basically some lucky person who doesn't know anything about a specific position that they're going to be put into, but hey, with some good luck charm and all that, um, they'll push through, they'll be able to get through it, and everything will be A-OK at the end. There is none of that here. Um, there is no um, good luck charm to help save society in this case and in any other case. So, yeah, we'll just move on from that. So, Clarice McClellan. Um, out of these tropes, I believe she would fit into... Um, oh, I forgot to mention, there's also a mentor trope. Um, I do feel like there's a couple of characters that fit that category. But, again, we're not going to get into that. So, Clarice McClellan. Um, I feel like she would be kind of like a chosen one but more like one of the chosen ones. And that's really all I could think of. So, yeah. We'll 
get into her right now. Um, let's see. Before that, I want to address that there are three parts to this book. We have the first part that's called The Hearth and the Salamander. The second part that's called The Sieve and the Sand. And a third part that's called Burning Bright. Um, we only uh, see Mac- uh, Clarice McClellan live up until part one. Because in part one, The Hearth and the Salamander, that's where we uh, read about her death. Because apparently she got run over by um, a vehicle of some sort. Um, I think that um, she was murdered on purpose because what you gotta understand about this fire department is that they have no tolerance for books at all. They even have like this mechanical hound um, that tracks books. And so, you know how like there's dogs in the police department that are trained to sniff out drugs? That's what this mechanical hound is like, except it's not a living dog, it's a robotic dog, and it has been trained to quote-unquote sniff out books. And it's pretty obvious from the beginning that not only uh, Clarice McClellan, but her entire family has books, and so I feel like the hound was sent on their family, and that the hound found the books and reported it back to the fire department, and therefore the fire department Uh, or at least some authority figure in the fire department, secretly sent out somebody to murder Clarice. That's what I think. Um, But I'm also using spark notes here, and it's saying that she was killed in a vehicle accident. That could be true. Maybe I just need to reread the book again. But what you also got to understand is that in the third part, um, let's see, in the third part, uh, Burning Bright, um... There's this one specific scene where the book starts to describe uh, a young woman that sounds like Clarice. And so I want to believe that Clarice was able to escape and that the quote-unquote bad guys think they killed her, but really they didn't, and so she was able to escape. Um, And that the person, the woman that's being described in part three is Clarice, but um, I'm not really sure. I don't really think anyone's for, like, really sure, except for maybe Spark Notes. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, I haven't seen any other, uh, books to go with this one. Um, but I have heard that there was supposed to be a trilogy, so, I don't know, I'll see, uh, if I find anything about that. So, let's see. According to what I have read in the first part, she describes herself as a 17-year-old crazy teenager. Um, and, like, as a lot of people know, those two kind of go hand in hand. Um, let's see. She's also a very thoughtful speaker, meaning that she likes to pause during her conversations and give herself time to think about what she's going to say next, because she understands the impact that her words can have, and that's what I've dissected from what I've read. So, next, um, from the perspective of Guy Montag, um, he describes her, well, first of all, physically, uh, to Montag, uh, her eyes are like two miraculous bits of violet amber that might capture and hold him intact. So I'm thinking that, um, because she's 17, she has this youthful, innocent look, and like any person would know, when you look into a child's eye in general, um, their pupils seem to be bigger and just kind of, like, capture you in a sea of 
just of wanting more and you can't really seem to escape it so i think that's what he's getting at here i don't think it's uh, meant to be sexual in any way because he does have a wife i want to point that out um but yeah uh, he describes her eyes as that and then he also describes her as a constant light and a comfortable and rare and gently flattering light of a candle so uh this does lead to me thinking that she has white skin uh but that she also has very uh bright personality um a different personality that stands out from the other people okay so that's on page five um okay let's see montag also says that she thinks too many things but i think that because in this new society a lot of things are different from our normal society right now um i think that in that future society a lot of people don't think a lot about anything and so she's one of the rare few that still think a lot like many of us still do today so i feel like that's the part that's rare to him because he didn't experience that and i guess our normal day which to him would be the old days so yeah um let's see she also says um that she rarely watches the parlor walls which is basically uh, their tv screen except it's an entire wall so of the house and so she rarely watches that um she also okay what you gotta understand about the society in order for them to pass time and not think about all the bad and just to suppress their feelings they have a lot of things for that they have racetracks they have a lot of amusement parks and a lot of things like that that aren't really a healthy way to um, deal with your feelings, but that's just their most common way of dealing with feelings. So she doesn't watch the private walls, she doesn't go to the races or the fun parks as they call the amusement parks. Um, she does acknowledge that she has a lot of crazy thoughts. Um, let's see. And then as, her, as for her family, um, her family, uh, they're all pretty much similar. I don't know if you've heard the saying, um, each person is the average of uh, the most common three to four individuals that they're surrounded by. So, yeah. Um, she describes them as most peculiar, which I mean, I guess in their situation, they would be. So, yeah. Uh, that's All of that is on pages 67. here continues to describe her as an eager watcher oh no 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 i'm sorry oh okay um let's see i'm sorry i'm trying to find my place uh, okay well from other things that i have read she's also a questioner she likes to get people thinking it's part of her curiosity it drives her and it's what makes her her and it's what sparks montag's own curiosity as well that's what helps to change him to ignite something in him that's been hiding all this time because he's supposed to be a fireman that loves to burn books that he doesn't mind to burn books but really deep down inside he does and what clarice mcclellan is supposed to be doing here is to help him realize that for himself 
and that's really where the story starts to take off because she was able to help him um, recognize who he really is because who he really is resonates with who she really is um okay let's see so that's what we've gotten from Clarice so far okay um I would also like to point out that she does go to a psychiatrist I don't necessarily think that she needs to have a psychiatrist but I feel like because her uh neighbors and just everyone else around her that's not family um sees them as not a part of the quote-unquote normal they sent her to a psychiatrist to see if there's anything wrong and she says that they make her go and she says that she makes up things to save it in she doesn't uh know what they think of her um and she sees herself as a regular person um and basically she just plays the part that they see her playing that she's not really playing um so the person that they think she is she's really not but she puts up a show because well i guess one she finds it a little bit entertaining um and two it's i what i believe is keeping her alive up until you know she gets killed so she's also the kind of person that likes to just sit and think she's like if you could take a quiz that uh, defines your personality I feel like the answer that would pop up for her is um, you're a bookworm and you like to read books under the trees with a lot of nature surrounding you I feel like that's the results that she would get um, and she likes I guess she likes all this attention because um, she says that she's got them running and with her knowing that I'm pretty sure that she likes that um, because again I'm pretty sure it's entertaining um let's see so she and Guy Montag start developing this friendship and they start to have like a little bit of humorous conversations here and there and you know how like sometimes you might get into a little disagreement with your friend but it wasn't really meant to hurt them so then you apologize and all this stuff that's basically how they are and so Montag says, you're peculiar, you're aggravating, yet you're easy to forgive. Because I guess she made a slightly offensive joke that was supposed to be lighthearted. But she does take it back and she does apologize. So that tells me that she's considerate. And uh, Guy Montag knows that it's all just for fun and that it's nothing serious. And from what I read, it's not that serious of an offense. Um, but yeah, just, that just goes to show that their relationship and her, Clarice in general, are considered and just want everyone to be happy in a healthy way um she even at one point asks now may i make you angry again so that's i feel like she has a sarcastic sense of humor which i mean really comes in handy during hard times and i would describe this as a hard time um so oh um i also feel like they should that she's an analytical thinker because she's always telling Montag directly uh, what she thinks of him and why she thinks of him that way. So, for example, she says that he's not like the other firemen, that he's different and he tells her why. 
She says that when I talk, you look at me. When I said something about the moon, you looked at the moon last night. Unlike the other firemen, whenever she tried to talk to them, they would like, run off or threaten her. But Montag isn't doing that. And so that tells me that she's also very observant and patient because she was just waiting for someone to be different, even if it would have taken a while or not come at all. And so I really believe that she is that kind of person. Let's see what else have we got. Um, let's see, I'm looking through my notes because I was making some for each character that I came across. And so right now I'm looking at some that I made about the mechanical hound dog, which we will get into another episode. Mm. Okay. Okay, so right now, um, on page 26, uh, later on as their friendship keeps on, you know, developing, um, not, not until anything, like, you know, more than what it is, just, you know, as it becomes stronger, as they build a stronger bond, um, he asks her, why is it I feel I've known you so many years, and she's pretty quick on her feet and it's not like she gives some lazy random answer to this question um this is something that she answers in a wise type of way and she says because i like you and i don't want anything from you and because we know each other so she gives reasons and something that is not too controversial uh okay let's see and then they start talking about uh, why he hasn't had children and she does recognize that this is a sensitive topic and she does make sure that if uh it doesn't if it's not something that he wants to talk about then it's not something that she's going to force him to talk about and she's open to change it to something else um let's see uh because she is still young she's 17 she does still go to school Um, She describes the school schedule as having an hour of TV class, an hour of basketball or baseball or running, an hour of transcription history um, or painting pictures, more sports, and four more hours of film teacher. And then we see more of her observational skills at work when she says that almost no one asks questions and how everything is just not how she would like it to be um she's basically describing the character of the society like if this entire society were one character um you should look at her comments about it to see the character analysis of this society um and then later on she describes herself as ancient um and we also see that she has lost six of her friends in the last year alone so i believe that she is still grieving um which again would make her different because everyone else is apathetic to their feelings in the society while i feel that she is not she also says that she is responsible and that she likes to watch people this sounds like um if it took place in the, if she came from the 1900s, like before TV and the internet and all this stuff, when people for fun would just watch other people and it was normal. Unlike today, if you were to watch people, 
I mean, yeah, sure, it might seem normal to other people, but to some, such as the younger generations, it would seem weird. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. She says that she likes to watch other people because she wants to figure out who they are and what they want and where they're going, although she has come to the conclusion that most of them just talk about the same stuff and it's only ever really about uh, stuff that's not important, stuff that they have gotten from their parlor walls. And so yeah, but as some time goes on, there is a moment where we see where Montag and Clarice are no longer hanging out together because their first encounter was him walking back home from work at night and she likes to go on late night walks. And so she, they come across each other, they start talking every time he comes back home and then they just do that over and over for some time. But uh, once Montag, uh, one night walks back home, he sees that she's not there to greet him and walk him home. And so that goes on for seven days. And then he finds out that she's gone. And, well, obviously we find out later on that she's dead. Although, on my part, I believe that she is still alive. That's my personal conviction. Okay, so that's in all in part one. Now, there is a part at the end of the book, like after all three parts are done, um that we see a notes section um, that a lot of other authors and people that have read this book and have and were close to the author um, gave and just offered their opinion and what they know about how this book was made. And so one thing I do want to reference is that there is, let's see, two TED Ed videos that I recommend you watch. One is Why You Should Read Fahrenheit 451, and the other one is Hidden Treasures of Timbuktu. Now, The Hidden Treasures is basically um, another time in reality history, but a long time ago, where people were burning books. I think this took place in some part in Africa or Europe, somewhere in the Eastern Hemisphere. And so I feel that that highly... Um, relates to Fahrenheit 451, so I recommend that you go check those two out. Okay, now in these notes sections. Um, okay, in the notes, it describes Clarice as a pedestrian, a young pedestrian, a reader of forbidden books, a questioner of authority, and a solitary late night walker, as I mentioned before. Um, she offered a fleeting companionship to Guy Montag. And let's see. After this, I'll go ahead and go over what the Sparks notes have to say about her. Um, it's basically similar information. Okay. So, in this one specific sentence, it says that Bradbury found that the best way to increase the thematic impact of this quest was to concentrate on expanding Montag's interactions with the other major characters, the young Clarice McClellan, the secretive Professor Faber, and fire captain uh, Leah, which is later named Beatty, the towering figure who represents Montag's potential future. So, there's an introduction to a couple of other characters that I'll be talking about later on. Um, let's see, he says that Clarice was the key to the entire story, and as he expanded Montag's first meeting with her, he also moved the scene, um, and so that's what I mentioned earlier, she's the catalyst, um, 
and says the young girl who lives next door is really the pivotal character. Without her and her influence, our fireman may not have changed when he did. Um, this way we get some sort of character growth in the tale. Um, so, yeah, that's how she has been helpful to this entire story. And, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have found in this note section about her for now. Oh, okay. Lastly, um, again, it, her, it references her uh, walking late at night and how she's just a direct communicator. She likes to speak what's on her mind, although in a smart manner. And that's pretty much where, what we are left of with Clarice McClellan. Um, the Sparks Notes describes her as a free-spirited young woman. Um, how she talks in a series of rapid-fire questions and declarations that demonstrate an open and curious mind. Um, yeah, that's basically all I have to say about Clarice McClellan. Um, later on, we will be discussing more about other characters in this book. Um, I wanted to address her again because she helps change the entire story. Um, I want to talk about the menial characters first. So, like tertiary characters or secondary characters. Um, I want to group uh, all of the tertiary, the tertiary characters in the next episode together. And just uh, talk about how they basically all describe um, most of the society in this book. And then next I want to go on to secondary characters and primary characters, such as Guy Montag. You know, save the best for last. Um, and that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to let you know that my podcast is available on Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Spotify. So go ahead and check it out there. Um, Until then, I hope you all stay safe, um, be kind to one another, and that's pretty much it. Goodbye.